Hello and welcome to Two Wizards and a Mic, where basically the show that you've come to see is here. We are two old guys and we're going to talk about D&D and hopefully you will learn something uh, because this is episode 31. So we have 30 episodes of stuff where you can learn about D&D and of course uh, figure out who we are because, you know, we're just two faces on the internet. Uh, I am Shane and of course to my left or right. I am Andrew. And this podcast is brought to you by KOD Publishing. Go to worldofmere.com and you'll be able to find all kinds of books, especially the book that we're talking about today. So last week, uh, we were uh, talking about uh, the Monsters of Feyland book, and we worked our way all the way to The Hatter, uh, which is about, I think, just about halfway, maybe mm-hmm. just uh, halfway. And uh, yeah, we're going to go over some more monsters because it's been absolutely fascinating to watch or listen to because, you know, you're the expert and I'm just I'm just here. <laughs> uh, is there anything you wanted to update people with? Anything uh, going on? Uh, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, always. We can always update, say what's going on. Sometimes we can say nothing's happening. But um, yes, the updates for Monsters of Feyland 2, our last Kickstarter is that the art is almost finished. I believe all the, we have um, sort of monster size images for the for the creatures in the book, and then we have some full page art. So I think now everything is being colored. So now it's gonna go to graphic art and Gordon McAlpin is going to take Travis's amazing art and put everything together. And then we'll have a final edit. So I hope in the next, you know, two or three weeks, I think hopefully we should be done. And then the digital book will go out. And then we'll, not long after that, we'll have the printed versions up and running. So yeah, it's really moved along so far that I'm actually doing more work on the next book right now. Very, very cool. Yeah. So tonight we're going to talk about the first book in the monster series. These are monster collections for fifth edition. And this book has a hundred fifth edition monsters that are either fey creatures or creatures that would live in Feyland. And it was published in 2019. So it's been out for a few years. And as Shane said, we covered the first, about the first half of the creatures. So tonight we'll finish the rest of them and look at what, you know, what was created, why was it created, how was it created. Some of them are quite straightforward and some of them have a bit more of a story. So the Headless Horseman is the first one. This one is fairly straightforward. This comes from folklore, especially here. Um, I think in the Eastern United States, that's where some of this myth came around um, with the story of Sleepy Hollow. And um, we made a version of a Headless Horseman that actually rides a nightmare. So a monster from the core rules. And then it also has flaming pumpkins that it throws, which I I love that that idea. And um, it is somewhat similar to the Dark Riders in Lord of the Rings as well. But a very archetypal figure. Like when most people see this, they know what they know what they're dealing with. I mean, the Headless Horseman is one of those creatures that's been I mean, for me growing up especially i mean it's always been a thing there's never been a a time that i can remember where i didn't understand when i was able to read uh you know that i was able to actually understand what the headless horseman was because you were exposed to uh, especially at halloween you're exposed to every dark story that's out there and any literature and everywhere um and yeah so i kind of like it i love i and this particular one i like the art because the uh, it this one is very much that sort of uh, was it Disney that did one I can't remember but somebody did an animated version of this um, uh, I guess of Sleepy Hollow and mm. uh, the pumpkins always struck me as being kind of awesome because they were thrown and then they'd explode so, yeah yeah actually I don't remember seeing that maybe sub because subconsciously you always have these other influences so maybe subconsciously I I picked that up but um. I just thought it'd be cool to throw flaming pumpkins. Maybe I did see it from somewhere else. Um, yeah, it's definitely something that's pervasive. Like 
There's the headless ghost in Harry Potter, of course. There's um, there is a I think there's a headless rider in Skyrim that a translucent ghost horse and rider that travel around, if I remember correctly. So yeah, it's sort of everywhere. I, I do. This is one of my favorite pieces of art that Travis has ever done for us, actually. I love how he put the moon there. I got to say, I really enjoy him. Uh, yeah. I, a lot of his stuff online. I mean, I, I when you actually said, oh, yeah, oh, I, I, I've uh, contacted this artist named Travis Hansen. He's going to do this stuff for the book. Yeah. And, I already knew who he was. I'm like, oh yeah, that's the guy that does that comic oh, wow. or that thing. Yeah. So I kind of, I had seen some of his stuff cause he has a very distinct style mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, you got the kind of the, the blood moon kind of thing going on in the back. Yeah. And what I like too is Travis and we intentionally, both of us are really, we're interested in the heroic part of D and D and adventures. And so we don't want to, um, we don't really want to highlight the villains and uh, put them up on a pedestal, which has happened a lot in pop culture in the last 20 years, which I think yeah. is a big mistake personally. So when we do darker images, you know, we're trying to do that. We're trying to still to show the darkness, but we don't want to go over the top. And um, I think that Travis's art does that. It has a way of still, there's still humor and um there's still a quality that makes that that doesn't put the villain on a pedestal and we're, we're not trying to glorify evil which which you know <laughs> it says a lot about you know people who want to produce works where you do that and we definitely don't want to do that so we want to have edgy you know some edgy um creatures but we want to have a balance well especially with uh things like um creatures of the night i mean the headless horsemen all these characters are supernatural they're evil uh they're doing things that you know are not awesome and i remember years ago having a conversation with a friend of mine who was uh wanting to write a new vampire novel because uh he, there were far too many you know this is sort of at the sort of the beginning of the twilight stuff you know when it became yeah. a film yeah. And, you know, suddenly vampires were kind of just like everybody else, except they glittered or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And that really frustrated him because he's a comic book artist and he was, you know, he'd draw these cool vampires, these kinds of things. And then commissions that he was getting for the, you know, the years sort of leading up to the film were like, oh, right. can you make it sort of look like, you know, whatever the lead vampire's emo. name is. Emo vampire. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It became yeah. emo. And he's like, no, yeah. no, no, I want, I want to do this. And I, I want to do that with this character. And so I actually wrote him a very short script of a vampire in Vancouver leaping off of that clock on, there's that clock tower thing on Granville and just oh, squashing gas. somebody, whatever building oh, right, that is. Right. And he jumps down, and just squashes the, you know, some poor bystander who just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, you know, started ripping them apart and stuff. And so he drew some stuff around that, which was kind of cool. But, uh, but yeah, very much, you know, some creatures are allowed to be evil. I'm sorry. There's not yeah. everything is all you know, puppies and cuddles. Exactly. It's not a, it's a real misunderstanding about archetypes and about shadow and um, vampires are evil. That's what they do. That like taking life, living off other creatures is evil. That That's what it is. And I just saw recently... Um, a great what's another great example of this oh i know with the the rings of power where they're trying to there was this article saying you know oh they're humanizing sauron well you can't do that it doesn't that he's not human it's an evil uh, archetype um it can't be done so it doesn't make sense uh you know and yeah, if you don't uses... do that if you have a story you're still going to have that creature you're still going to have that Otherwise, it's not going to be very interesting. But if you do have that dark creature, you're just going to have it in a different form then because the archetype will still be there. You know, if you have good versus evil, you're just going to you're just going to have it in another guise. Well, especially since the whole idea behind the humanization, you know, quote unquote, um, the villain is using a disguise. It's like. How do I get these chumps to do the thing that I want to do? Well, you know what? 
I'm going to go there and I'm going to look like this dude and I'm going to talk and I'm going to be friendly. And then, you know, when I when I got mm-hmm. them to do what I want them to do, then I'm just going to go away and leave and, and, and be evil in the shadows. You know, yeah. it's 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 a thing. It's deception. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 But anyway, enough about the Headless Horseman or <laughs> Sauron or, or whatever. What's yeah. next? I'm actually very curious here. All right. So next up is the Huntor. So I wanted to have a counterpoint to the Centaur. Uh, you know, speaking about e- good and evil, uh, the Centaurs are basically good or chaotic, neutral, um, large. Uh, well, they're actually not Fey in the core rules for some reason. But I decided to make an evil version of the Centaur called a Huntor. Took a while to find that name, but I like it. And I like what Travis did with the art. He looks like uh, Drax the Destroyer from uh, the Marvel movies. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that awesome. one is fairly straightforward. Evil centaur version. And then in the new book, we explain a little bit more about them and we give you a high-ranking version of one of these. And uh, we we explain how they're really a bu- the bulk of the evil... Unseely Court's army are made up of these Huntors. So they're like evil soldiers in Feyland. And um, then we have something quite different. We have the Ice Princess. So there's a whole um, family I created of these uh, evil Winter Court Fey, Arc Fey. And this one is uh, basically these are the daughters of the Snow Queen. There's a bunch of Ice Princesses. And if you notice they're under actions, she has ice swords, which I thought would be nice to give a you know, female character to have be a, a warrior with swords. It's not, you don't see it all the time. And then also her other action is that she has something called the frozen song. <laughs> which I really like. <laughs> when I first read that last week, I thought, oh, that's like, oh, okay. I, I see what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's no uh, influence from having to subject yourself to such uh, films over and over and over again for the no. last few years. No, <laughs> no, that's awesome. All right. So the next one we have is the Lady of the Swans. So she is another high-ranking arc fay in the Good Court, um, the Seely Court. And she's really inspired by the Lady of the Lake archetype, which you can find in the Excalibur movie and in folklore in Great Britain. And um, so we combine that with the leader of these swan fae, these shape-changing swan maidens, which are also in this book. And so she is like the epitome of bliss, of peacefulness, of a calm lake. And then we gave her some attributes there where she can give boons like magical swords to um, good adventurers as well. Which is awesome. On the next page, now this comes from something quite different. This is from one of my uh, just walks in the woods. And one day I was looking at all the hollow logs and started to imagine what might live in there. And I thought, what if there was a creature that you encountered in these large hollow logs, ones that you could, you know, walk into or crawl into, and it makes a deal with you. And if the deal goes well, it will help you move quicker through the forest and teleport you to another hollow log deeper into the woods. But if it goes badly, it's just going to randomly teleport you into a hollow log somewhere in the woods. So um, I, yeah. I seem to recall we encountered this creature at some or a variation yeah. on it anyway. You did, yeah. The first time your party, that party went to Feyland, uh, you ran into one of these, and I think you negotiated peacefully with it, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I don't recall being... I don't recall having a negative experience with this creature. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I like this one, because it's so subtle. And of course, I wanted to point out the flora of Feyland, the mumbleberry... Uh, I think that uh, I think we've actually eaten that at some point. I seem to recall. Yeah. So throughout the book, there's Flora of Feyland and a few other 
inserts that talk about the the plants and fungi and other effects that happen in Feyland. So now we go into a lycanthrope section. We have the weir badger, which is the evil one of the three. And it is basically, I term it, the weir rat of the woods. <laughs> so it's kind of like this um, uh, small, shape-changing um, creature that's up to no good. They're neutral evil, so they will do whatever they can get away with. And then we have something quite different. The weir fox is this very charming shape changer that will use their um, ability to charm to get whatever they want, but they're chaotic neutral. So they won't, you know, they do have some morality, some boundaries. And of then course, the third in the trio is on the next page. There's the weir rabbit. And I did that really to have a, to give a shout out to the white rabbit from Lewis Carroll's work and to do something quite different and um, to make him basically a nervous wreck. And then when Travis did the art, he said, hey, what about putting an hourglass around him, you know, around his neck that he's carrying around with? And I, because I, I like actually having medieval um, lore and that sort of, you know, that's the place I'd like to keep the technology. And so I didn't want to have a watch or a clock. And I, like, I don't right. usually... I don't have glasses. We never have glasses with any of the creatures. Uh, Travis once snuck in goggles. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think it works. I think it works in that case. But in this case, yeah, I really, really like what he did. I think this is one of my favorite pieces in this book. It's actually very cool because it has that really iconic element of the of the thing around the neck. Like it's got that. And it also has the, sh the suit shreds, which are kind of yeah. fascinating. Yeah, yeah, from the like. changes because it can change shape. It's so cool. It's so yeah, cool. it's so subtle. Because if you were just looked at the artwork, you'd have people going, "What's with the clothing? What I don't understand. What's in yeah?" And, but it, it and that draws the necklace draws a lot of uh, a lot of yeah. I think focus for it, which is cool. Yeah, exactly. I think good art is always telling a story, and Travis definitely does that. So pretty much, I think every image there's a story going on there so um the next one is one of four creatures in the book that are part of the wild hunt so this is something from folklore in europe this um, mystical group of hunters that are pursuing a prey and basically they can even pursue them to other worlds and oh, wow. they at times they will have a very powerful leader like a god or a demigod or some supernatural being um, even Odin might be leading in some of the stories, might be leading the wild hunt. In our case, we decided to make this fey creature as the leader and um, sort of a combination between a rogue and a fighter, but he also has magic. And yeah, so this is one of the members of the wild hunt. Which I think is cool because I like the idea that you have somebody that's doing a hunt and they're able to like travel between, you know, different places because you could have them, uh, there, there's like, wasn't there a Star Trek episode, like Deep Space Nine, where they had some hunt like character that was hunting somebody else and, and that kind mm. of stuff. And, but, uh, yeah, it's so cool. It's so cool. That's so basically our, our every creature I see in this book. So cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me too. I, one of the the funnest parts of making the books is seeing what Travis does with the descriptions of the creatures. Um, yeah. So the next one is another one inspired by nature, really inspired by seeing all the mist and fog that we have here in Vancouver that drift around in the woods and the mountains. So this is this very large um, undead creature, um, basically like a giant phantom wraith type creature. And it sort of will drift in, uh, maybe around the woods or in the mountains. The next one is, um, I love giving like lots of minions and mounts and um, creatures that the evil characters can have as helpers along the way. And so these nighthounds can be used by dark fae to track down items or track down people. And sometimes they will even grab them, even babies and kids. And so this is this evil hound creature. Um, and we added a little story in there in this bio, how it 
unlike most hounds, it actually doesn't like uh, other night hounds and other creatures like it, uh, other dogs or any kind of creature like that. And they're, oh, they're interesting. So we thought, yeah. Yeah. So you don't so have like thought... a pack of 10 of these things coming across no. their field. No, no, they would fight. They would fight each other. Yeah. That is so cool. I gotta, I gotta, I kind of want something better with this, just saying everything's cool. <laughs> that was epic. Nighthounds yeah. are epic. <laughs> All right. So All right. Um, there are a number of creatures in the book that are protectors of nature, and one of them is the nymph, and uh, another, you know, very common fantasy creature, and it has been in D and I think, in different forms, but there's none in the core rules. So this is our nymph who protects the forest, chaotic neutral. And again, basically all the creatures in Feyland are either chaotic good, chaotic neutral, or chaotic evil. There's a few exceptions, but not many. And most of the chaotic neutral creatures are wild fey. They're not part of any court. So she has some magic and um, she has, um, yeah, some ways of dealing with intruders into the sacred areas of the woods, which to her basically would be everywhere. <laughs> yeah, totally. I was going to say. Yeah. And um, the next one is one of the really powerful Arc Fey, one of the leaders in the Sealy Court, the Oak Lord. He is basically the right-hand man of the king and queen. And he has magic and he's also a warrior. And he's the leader of the centaurs. Um, and he also, we decided to throw in a little love story. So he's fallen in love with the queen and has aspirations of taking over from the king, King Oberon. So we thought we'd throw a little love triangle in there. <laughs> Nothing like having a bunch of people at the top who are, you know, all elegant and they're well-read and they've got yeah. all kinds of great powers. And then they turn around and it's like, I'm sorry, you just did what? Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. All, all right. So of speaking drama. of King Oberon, here he is. So another powerful Arc Fey. And he is, unlike the queen, he is loved by all fake creatures and he's very down to earth. Um, he and her jointly rule Feyland in our version of it. Usually she's the the main ruler and he's sort of a subordinate, I think. But we like the idea of having a male, male and female balanced in the leadership. And he has magic. Um, a very powerful magic sword. He's also got um, the ability to summon unicorns as this large owl familiar that aids him. And um, yeah, a very classic figure. He and Titania are both in Shakespeare's Mids Midnight Summer's Dream, Midsummer Night's Dream. And um, yeah, a very archetypal figure in Fae stories. Now, something totally different is the Ogre King. Here's another creature that was inspired by a miniature. <laughs> so Reaper Miniatures makes an amazing ogre uh, figure that I've found. I don't think I actually have it. No, I don't have this one, but it it's an ogre that has a shield. But if you look carefully, the shield's actually a door. <laughs> so um, that's that's where this creature came from. That that is why. And then I decided, okay, I'm going to make him the king of the ogres, and he he rules some ogres, but he's more of a minion for the giants, and the giants kind of order him around. I like that. I do like that. The mace of chaos. Yeah, yeah. So he has a magical mace. Yeah, and he can use his shield, which is a door. Um, he can use it to bash as well. Yeah. It's very, actually, I'm just I'm mesmerized by that, uh, the door on his arm. <laughs> That's so cool. Oh, I got to come up with a new phrase. Oh, I'm going to be. <laughs> All right. So the next one is another ogre. And this one is um, a classic fantasy creature, actually the ogre mage or ogre magi. And it's the combination of a spell casting ogre, which is just such a, I always love that idea. It's one of the, it's kind of like, you don't actually expect ogres to have any kind of 
spell casting ability ever. They're just kind nope. of, I just kind of think of them as brutes. You know, you kind of yeah. walk into a room and there are a bunch of them hanging out and they're like, oh, I'm going to kill you. Kill bad person. You know, that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, to have yeah, one exactly. like, fire a fireball at you might be a bit of a different story. Yeah, yeah. I love that contrast. And you can tell the artist like this because when we did the back cover, he decided he wanted, this is one of the two creatures he wants, wanted on the back cover. So you'll find the same um, creature on the back cover, a different drawing, but the same creature. All right. So I decided with the two e courts, I would have a couple of uh, sort of broody, troublemaking, uh, whiny teenagers. So this is the one who is in the evil court. She in the evil court? No, she's in the good court. She's in the Sealy court. And she is whining and complaining, you know, her life's not perfect. And she starting to think that maybe it's better to go to the other side. And she is the leader of the Everflowers that we saw earlier in the book. So she right, is right. part of this theme of dance that we have in the book. So there's dancers and, and musicians as well as part of Feyland. And so she has a very powerful sword again with this theme of honey as well um, with the Everflowers. They can summon bees and use some effects um, from honey and pollen. And again, that connection to nature and um, that kind of organic and sensual connection to the land, which I think yeah. is part of Feyland. Yeah. So the thing that's I like about the thing I like about her uh, artwork is uh, when I first saw this when we first got the book, um, which I can't believe is like 2019. Like holy cow. Yeah. But um, is the fact that the hilt of the sword actually looks like it's like a bee in yeah. flight. You've got yeah. the stinger on the end. You've got sort of these mandibles at the top, and then the I mean the wings are a bit thin, but of course it kind of yeah uh, brings that kind of uh, feel to it, which I like. Yeah, thank if you, you look, thank Travis, you, Travis. Yeah, exactly. He has he's had so much detail because of course things like that we didn't put in the description. He just added uh, another fantastic image. Um, this is the pond of reflection. So this is really playing with the idea of the story of um, Narcissus and of uh, narcissistic tendencies that we all have as humans. So these are Fae and other creatures who start to fall in love with their own image, with their own selves. And these pawns take advantage of that um, and they will grab the person who's now being charmed by their own image and pull them into the pond. That was there, scary, it, actually. Yeah, yeah. The next one is the leader of the satyrs. So this is the Prince of the Pipes, and he's another um, arc fae, but he is not in either of the courts. So he's a wild fae, um, and he's kind of he's a more patient satyr. We say the others are very quick and hot tempered and he's he's sort of he's more patient and will play the long game and um yeah, he could be an interesting adversary or an interesting ally. His pipes similar to those used by other series, however, his pipes have more powerful effects. Yeah. Gotta say that is kind of terrifying. <laughs> Slow melee creatures of speed have for one minute. Oh yeah, like there's there's so many things in your books where you read them and they're very they sound very minor mm -hmm. like slowing or or doing you know something that you kind of i think a lot of players would just find it annoying like ah oh, man come on not again but right. you know when you're being attacked by something that really wants to eat you uh something small becomes a real problem very quickly yeah yeah exactly yeah, especially if you have more than one creature or multiple creatures or um, or the right feature at the right at the wrong time, you know. Yeah. Um, so next is another Arc Fae. This character's from the Unseelie Court, the Evil Court. And he's basically an illusionist, uh, trickster, and um, 
was inspired to a certain degree by the knave of hearts in the Alice in Wonderland stories. Um, there's sort of there's some connection there. The next one is a, a, a basically a pattern that we started with all the books, a little homage to my homeland in South Africa. So this is our South African creature, and we have one in every book now. And this is the protea, which is a very it's basically the national flower there. And um, I made it into a you know a man-eating uh, plant. Again, sort of reminds me of Alice in Wonderland and and fairy stories. The thing I like about this creature is the damage transfer, where yeah. if they're grappling yeah. and you attack it, you actually take half that damage like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's always challenging. I thought actually that was going to happen to your character on the weekend because your gnome was grappled by a cloaker. And if yeah. somebody had attacked the cloaker, that's exactly what would have happened. Um, but luckily, why don't you yeah. tell everybody what you did? You you thought of a great way to escape. Uh, since my character was a druid, I wild shaped into uh, a different, like, a, I, actually, I, I kind of wish the cloaker was smaller and I could actually have, you know, become a whale or something. That would be kind of cool. But uh, wild shaped into something that was the same size and was able to sort of escape that way. But I was hoping for, like, you know, a dramatic explosion of the cloaker and I'm standing there right. all covered in cloaker slime. Yeah. Did, didn't happen that way, but, you know, one can hope. Yeah. But that did happen with the Sturges later. Oh, that's true. Oh, that's yeah. true. Oh, those, those were actually, oh, man. Sturges. All right. So um, speaking of bat-like creatures, um, the Queen of Darkness, she has many names. Uh, one of them is actually the queen of bats. Um, and she basically is is um, inspired by the evil queen of the fairies. So somebody like Queen Mabe. Um, and she's a very powerful spellcaster, has numerous minions. She has hellhounds helping her out. Um, she can summon creatures. And she is the leader of the evil unseelie court. And she has the power to prove it. Yeah, very powerful. <laughs> On the right side is a creature inspired by our hometown here, where Shane and I are living. We have a fair bit of rain here in the Pacific Northwest. And I thought, what if there is a creature who could hide in the rain and then pounce? <laughs> and this creature we encountered, and it took us what felt like five hours to actually figure out where it was, what it was. And I don't think our characters actually figured out what it was. They just got attacked and I, and we defeated it somehow. But uh, yeah, it was, it was actually kind of scary because you just said, yeah, you're suddenly getting attacked by something. And it, cause it was yeah. raining and, and we were, I think I, we were looking at a building or something that was dilapidated or something, but yeah, we, it, yeah. I, and because I had the book, I think I was the only one who had the book at that point, and I knew exactly what it was, but yeah. I think I couldn't say anything. But uh, yeah, it was it was actually quite terrifying because you could like drowning characters like just when they're not in water. Uh, yeah, over, technically. Anyway, yeah, it was very. Yeah, I, I often when I'm DMing, I don't necessarily say the name of the creature unless it's obvious or the characters have seen it before. Yeah. And then sometimes later on, or even later on in the fight, I might use its real name. But I find that adds to the immersion, and it also adds to suspense sometimes where you're not quite sure what this is. Well, exactly, so, and that's how it should be, because you are not, your character is not, like, you could have as many monster manuals as, you, as have been written, and but your character is not going to know. Like, your character is yeah. going to be in the dark, and that's actually that situation because I had read that one and I thought it was, and for some reason it stuck in my mind. And then we encountered it like, I don't know, two weeks later. And I thought, oh, I know what this is, but how I, I don't have the book. I don't know the exact details, but I know what this creature is. But my character is like, what is, why am I, why am I so wet? Why, am, ow, why am I being hit? Yeah. yeah. It was just, it's just a very interesting creature that I, I just, and, I, and I'm glad it was, uh, you know, in, you know, our experience here on the West coast is yeah. What a terrifying. Yeah. Idea. <laughs> and it shows some of the humor that we like to, uh, 
include there too. I think that picture is quite funny. Um, yeah. So because it's like it's like right. this, it's like, it it looks like a big uh, 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 a curtain in a for a shower or for a tub. Yeah, yeah, and it has it's almost like a Baba Papa shape. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, so I like to have a number of plants always if possible. So this is one of the other ones, and it's a play on words instead of roto, um, roto dendron. Uh, let's, see, let's see if I can even say it properly now with after naming it like this. <laughs> um, a rhododendron. So I changed that to the rhododendron. So it's a plant that has a sonic attack. And uh, yes, yeah, so I thought it'd be it'd be perfect for Feyland. Silent gardens. Some evil fae intentionally place these plants near their lairs. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So you imagine you you know you can't cast a spell under some of these circumstances. All right. So the other moody teen is Riverwind, who's part of the evil court. And he's fed up with then and thinking of swapping over to the good court. And I gave him some qualities of like sort of an archetypal archer. Um, and he has some magic. And yeah, so he's the counterpoint to Orchid, who's the uh, complaining teenager in the other court. The moody blue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And so we actually, in speaking of Orchid, we put an evil version of her in the new book in Feyland 2, which uh, we're nice. almost finished, and you can still pre-order at our site. Um, we put an evil version of her in there as well. <laughs> oh, I like this. I like these characters. Ooh, the oh, All right. Royal Stag. Oh, I like this Yes. One. So this is my favorite, and this is my favorite for so many reasons. I love what Travis did. I think this is... Uh, a spectacular image and what this stands for is you know honor and this is the one of the most respected fae creatures he's basically the leader of the giant elk that live in Feyland. he has some magic and he's very you know just this majestic beautiful uh, creature and there's lots of positive male energy i think that comes with this creature and um very a very uh archetypal image in um in europe is this is of the antlers you look at how many cr uh, family crests have the antlers on them and the sort of stag like the the royal stag and there's many stories of dark creatures chasing the white stag or different creatures um and we we mentioned that in this um, bio but I also wanted to have one that could really hold its own. And uh, there's a lot of creatures that would get in trouble if they messed with, with this creature. Uh, I mean, he's absolutely massive. Like, it's a giant-sized stag. <laughs> uh, next, we have another one that inspired by nature. So walking through the woods, I wondered what if there were dark trees that could actually shoot their branches off, you know, stubs of branches that were broken or sharp branches so that's what this creed, creed, uh, tree does um i guess you could call it a treacher um and it, it shoots those things off uh at a high rate of speed and um yeah it's quite a i think a new challenge for characters especially when you have this uh visual in your mind of a tree reaching out and then dissolving you and then digesting you. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's, that's a really, uh, a really specific visual for that one. Yeah. Yeah. And not Which, because it needs to, it's undead, right? So it just does it to do it. Um, like, all right. I'm bored. I'm going to kill whatever comes next. Yeah. Um, <laughs> here's another uh, classic figure in Faye stories, the Sandman. So we did our own little version of that and it has uh, sleeping dust that it spreads and uh, again i love what travis did here real trickster character and you know it's there's a bit of humor there so it doesn't it's not too dark i think and then I a, like a bird creature i always like to have lots of birds things that can be airborne and this creature was inspired by the evil birds that um 
Sauron and Saruman use in Lord of the Rings to spy on the the um, the uh, heroes, and so we have our our own version of a an evil bird that spies on characters, and you could encounter many of these, but they're fairly big; they're medium sized, so they're not hard to spot. Well, um, they can be; they are fairly stealthy, um, and they can see quite a long way. So, and it, it says here too that the dark fae can use scrying abilities to see through their eyes as well. And that most fae will flee the area when they see them, which is really a smart idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, another tree. Yeah. So this one is really inspired by the Whomping Willow and Harry Potter, but we'd have, we have an even more sinister version um, because it can slam just like the Whomping Willow and smash people. Um, but it also can swallow them. And in, in Potter, it just means that they, spoiler alert, it just means they find a tunnel that goes under the tree. But in um, our version, it means that you're getting swallowed. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, this this is the visual I was thinking of that was in my mind when we were talking about the other tree just a moment oh, ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, because the characters, it's, it's the... Uh, all of the sort of decomposing bodies and skulls yeah. and things at the very base of this one, which yeah, it's a great image, a great image. All right, the next one is the siren. So we another one from folklore, and but we like to look back into the actual lore and as far as we can. And we were, I was reading it, and a lot of sirens always presented presented as quite attractive and um, sort of temp, like temptress characters. But actually, the original sirens, they can shape change and appear like that. But the original true form of the siren is supposed to be this bird woman creature, which is not very attractive. And so we thought we'd go back to that. And, and that's the image that we'd show. And um, again, sirens that lure sailors usually um, with songs and with um, persuasion and then their ships wreck, and then the sailors are attacked. Yeah, I mean, I like the whole um, luring song where they have different stages, it feels like, for, uh, you know, basically how you're trapped, and then you how, there's only really a certain way you can escape, and yeah, yeah. that's cool. Page. Oh, cool. All right. I don't so, remember this one at all. Yeah. So one another thing that I always like to do is have lots of mounts for um, the enemy and also for the heroes. So here's one for undead creatures, which is this giant skeletal spider. And um, then on the right side is one that is really inspired by a number of different creatures. The skeleton king is an arc fey. Um, he is the leader of the Autumn Court. And in the new book, you'll see what that means. What it means is there's a whole part of Feyland, which is basically like permanently Halloween. And nice. this is their, their king. And he has an undead army. Uh, he has lots of magic. There's some connection here a bit to Jack from the Nightmare Before uh, Christmas. I absolutely love Tim Burton, which if you've seen these books, you probably guess. And so... There's a connection to that, and um, yeah, so there's a number of different, and he's the more, he's one of the more trickster-like fae. Um, we have a few of those, but um, he is probably the best example. So he's not always, he wouldn't always be completely vicious to the heroes. He might toy with them and play with them. Um, yeah. Oh, that's cool. I'm enjoying I so here's we're now in the section of the book that I haven't visited that often. Oh, so okay. I'm very, I'm very happy because, uh, yeah, I'm learning some new stuff. All right. So the skeleton warrior. So this is a large skeleton. So this is an ogre-sized skeleton, and it is a actually a quite a tough opponent. We've had some monster battles for our Kickstarters where um, Kickstarter backers fight each other. Uh, with different monsters, like um, what do they call that these days? Royal. There's a name people have for that um, 
Oh. Like a Royal Rumble or uh, I can't think of the name right oh, now. Oh, I know what you're talking. Okay, yeah. A battle where you 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 fight monster against monster. It's not it's not really traditionally part of D and D, but it does happen now. So we've had contests, and this guy did really well. I believe he won one of the one of the contests, one of the championships. Oh, cool. And um, he's pretty tough for. And I thought it'd be cool to have a larger, more challenging skeleton creature. Now we get to very classic, um, the Snow Queen in lots of mythology and folklore in Europe. And um, there's, of course, the White Witch in Narnia in the stories. So this Snow Queen is our version of the archetypal fairy queen. And she's the leader of the Winter Court. And so the Winter Court and the Autumn Court make up the unseelie court, the evil side. Liking, I like the fact that we have all these different um, factions. Like they hate, like there's, there's, you if you get the book, you could also uh, sort of make up a story based on the creatures itself. Like, what if I went to the fan? Oh, there's this, and there's that, and there's all these individuals that are in each court, and they could do all kinds of cool things. I like that. I like that a lot. And you've done right. it even more so in future in other books as well, which is yes, awesome. yes, definitely. So the next one, there's a sprite in the core rules, but we thought, hey, we're gonna make a little warrior version of a sprite, and um, they're usually peaceful and they're actually um, non-violent and pac pacifist. They don't get involved uh, very much, but we decided let's have a let's have a warrior version of a sprite, and. Um, the next one after the sprite, the story weaver on the right there is actually modeled after myself. Um, so it's modeled after the writer, the storyteller archetype. And then Travis did an, an image that's somewhat similar to me uh, before my hair started to go white. <laughs> <laughs> He's very, it's very sexy. I mean, I, I'm getting all kinds of verklempt here. Oh, yeah. Um, actually, this is one of the, the characters, too, that he wanted to put glasses on. And I said, no, no, that's fine. Um, so the story weaver, the storyteller, this is a very meta kind of creature to put in here. Uh, because, again, you could have him telling the story that, you know, that um, the characters are in. So there's lots of ways to use him. And um, we also, in the other books, we've added a whole story around a a good faction called the Alliance of the Griffin, which actually works across the whole multiverse fighting evil. And we later identify the story weaver as one of the members of that. Oh, cool. Yeah. My, my favorite power that, uh, that he has is creative license. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the Swan Maiden. All right. So the, um, the minions basically of the Lady of the Lake, our Lady of the Swans, are swan maidens, shape-shifting fey good creatures who can turn into giant swans. Which And there's no giant swan in the core rules, which meant in this book, we had to make a giant swan. Um, after her is another fairy creature connected to nature. These are air creatures, like similar to an air elemental, sort of combined with fairy, a fairy creature. And um, yeah, on both good creatures, the Swan Maidens and the Sylphs. I like the, um, oh, the ability to actually turn invisible at will. Like to me, that's probably the coolest thing. <laughs> actually, of course, I think I've seen this, that power in a few of these creatures over the past uh, couple episodes. Yeah. There's a few, yeah. There's a few, not too many, yeah. There's a few. Fresh. All right. So the next creature is something very, very new. I thought, um, you know, there's all these different entrances to Feyland through ponds, through magical trees and other portals. I thought it would make sense that there would be guardians on the other side in Feyland. So that's what these are, and they can be of any alignment. So there's good thresholders. And there's evil ones. And um, yeah, you could have them be very strict and the 
The party has to negotiate their entrance or they could help the characters or they could just refuse entry. Right? Right. Judging harshly. Yes. Um, I'm sorry. You guys, do you guys have a, I'm sorry. No, there's a reservation for another night. You guys can't come into Feyland right now. (laughs) (laughs) So on the other side is Queen Titania, um, the head of the um, Sealy Court or the leader with, alongside um, King Oberon. And we've mentioned her quite a bit already. She is very powerful, fae creature, good fairy queen. And um, yeah, and unlike her husband, she's not really that down to earth. She's sort of, um, she's more of an introvert than compared to Oberon and sort of, yeah, doesn't spend as much time with all the creatures in Feyland and um yeah nice <laughs> all right so earlier we mentioned the frog witch so i decided she needed a henchman and of course he had to be called toad man was there a character named toady at some point was that in dragonlands i can't remember <laughs> Yeah, there is a toad something. There's toad something in Dragonlance. Yeah. Yeah. So this is sort of reminds me a little bit of Wormtongue from Lord of the Rings as well. And he is a sort of a warrior slash, uh, I think he has a little bit of magic. And he's the frog witch's main evil henchman. Um, not, not, not super bright, um, not charismatic. His charisma is five. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, and actually, I see I see a mistake there. This book's not perfect. This was the first one we made in this series. I see it says charisma five minus two is the modifier. It should be minus three. So, and we actually have a a page with errata with the um, changes available on Drive Through RPG, or you can just get a hold of us, and I'll send it to you. Um, There's a few little mistakes. The next page is the uh, evil version of a treant or evil version of an ent from Tolkien's work and uh, a very dangerous evil tree. And then one of my favorite flora, the rainbow apple, which if you consume it, you change your gender for one day. Is that like? All right. Uh, now, trolls, I love trolls. There's lots of trolls in our books. But the regular troll is not super powerful. It's pretty tough. Now we made an incredibly dangerous, powerful troll. And that's what this guy is, who lives in the rivers. And um, on the next page is one of our three unicorns. This one is a very clever, uh, dark, twisted version of the unicorn in the core rules it's a celestial so here we give an evil fae version and uh, this is the same black unicorn that's on the cover yeah i was going to say this is kind of like the one of the signature creatures of this book exactly and yeah uh, and it's that's just it's cool how can you how can you say that it's not cool at all because i say everything is cool but this <laughs> one is one that we don't actually see that often at all Unicorn green. Yeah, both of these I haven't used a lot. Um, the green unicorn is chaotic neutral, uh, nature protector, you know, usually close, usually closely allied with druids or good fey or neutral fey, and it has some magic and um, very connected, even more than the other unicorns to nature. On the right side is something quite different, another evil uh, unicorn, but this one has been. Um, basically um, twisted by demons into this strange uh, red unicorn creature. And so it has magic and um, instead of healing, it's got a lot of fire damage. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's something you might encounter maybe even in hell or in the abyss, not just Feyland. I got to say, it's very... Oh, trying to not say cool. Trying to not say cool. <laughs> but it is right. cool. So the next three are more characters that are part of the wild hunt. So we had the master of the hunt. Here we have the wild horse 
the wild hound on the next page, the wild rider. And one thing we did was we made them sort of interchangeable to a certain degree, that some of them can shape shift into each other. So we're kind of going with that theme that this wild hunt almost is one, it's almost like one creature that keeps changing shape as it keeps moving along. And um, they can again travel into to other planes, to the ethereal plane, and uh, they could be pursuing somebody or something quite a distance. That's cool. Like the, I, I got to say that the fact that you have these hounds that are more pack animals, I kind of like. That's because the the previous hounds we were talking about earlier are are not. You know, they only like to hang out by themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I like that Travis, he did the coloring uh, that he did for all four members of the Wild Hunt, so all exactly the same. The the horses, yeah, the hounds. I, the men. Yeah, yeah, I actually had noticed. That is so cool. Yeah, the horses, oh. the hounds, the master, and then this is the rider. So these are um, evil, uh, not evil, they're chaotic neutral. These are wild fae. So these are the riders on the horses in the Wild Hunt. And then on the right, I always wondered why they don't have a witch creature in D&D. They have had a class called the witch way back in Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. In first edition, they had a witch class in the Dragon Magazine. But I don't, I you know, I only know first edition and fifth edition, and there's no witch, which never made sense to me. So here we make our version, and we say they have to be evil or good. You can't be a neutral witch. And I also added a feature where they have water susceptibility, because I always like that from Wizard of Oz, that um, <laughs> they take damage from water. So I included that in here. Which is very cool. Oh, I got to think of something else. There. I got to think of another word that's cool, but oh, these are so cool. We could go back to the 80s and you could say gnarly or radical or good plan all right the next thing hey the witch king is pretty rad yeah exactly so um the witch king you know um somewhat inspired by the witch king in lord of the rings but we've added our own um spin on it some people have told me that this image looks like something from a certain video game i guess that might have been inspired might have inspired the artist i'm not sure um and he is a very very powerful uh, magic user warrior character and another image that the artist obviously liked because he put him on the back cover as well <laughs> the aura of fear i think is one of my a lot of the creatures that, it, that we've encountered from your books there's been a couple that have like that innate ability where it's like there's this aura around them and if you are in that zone uh you could be in trouble uh, you know, being yeah. frightened for a minute or, or, you know, falling unconscious or things like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, Beasts. um, yes. So on our beast section, we, we start out with one that might subconsciously have been, um, inspired by the hypno toad from Futurama, but I, <laughs> I was not, I never had that in mind when I created it or when I made or gave the description to Travis. But uh, I love this idea that this creature um, takes memories and it uh, hypnotizes characters and makes it very difficult or impossible to cast spells. And um, it's actually a handful, this creature, the forget frog. The rest of the mounts, for the most part, are quite straightforward, but he's a handful. So the next two, really, we, we made because we like mounts. And because I can't see a fairy world that didn't have giant butterflies and giant dragonflies. Agreed. You can always have, you know, the fact that they are able to ride these things are, you know, it gives them an extra edge on, on any of the uh, adventurers coming through Feyland. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I also like the idea that these mounts could all be used by the characters too. Uh, and here's another example, the, the giant fox. In fact, this was used by a mount in one of the adventures we ran. And I remember it well because somebody was running, was charging with their red fox and they decided to jump over a river on the fox and they rolled the dexterity 
uh, check and they rolled a natural one. So the red fox and the rider went right into the river. <laughs> you jump so and bail another... straight into the river. Yeah. Another classic, I think, uh, creature. The giant rabbit, um, the main reason we made it originally was to have something for the weir rabbit to change into, uh, just like the next creature coming up in a moment. Um, but we thought we'd add something, you know, add a little bit more to that story too and say that creatures trying to grow food in Feyland have lots of problems with these creatures. <laughs> Appetites right. for destruction. Exactly, yeah. And I thought I'd throw a little <laughs> musical reference in there. So it says yes. the few, what does it say? The few, it says something like the few farming communities in Feyland are on guard for giant rabbits. These beasts can destroy fields full of crops in a matter of days. So yeah, I thought I'd throw a little shout out with the appetite to dis for destruction. Uh, <laughs> I love. <laughs> All right. I mean, so now that's that gnarly. Yeah. Just like the last one, this one was created so the swan maiden said something to turn into because there was no giant swan. So pretty straightforward. Um, and it would be funny having to fight one of these creatures. Um, uh, the next one is actually a mistake. I actually told the artist in the description that I wanted a giant turtle. And I got this image. <laughs> and I loved it so much. I said, that's fantastic. And I say, you do know that that's a tortoise. Um, but I love it. And I love the idea of having this like pack animal. Um, it's enormous, right? Like it's huge size, it's giant size. So it would actually, it would be actually bigger than that. Um, it'd probably be about four or five times the size of that. And um, yeah, so it's a pack animal. And oh, God. then gnarly, we, did, we did get our turtle. I did ask for the turtle again in the Monsters of the Wilderness book. So you, you'll get a giant turtle in there. Um, the Excellent. last one, again, I, I love the idea of mounts, and this is a war dog that could be used, in this case, by goblins, but it could be used by halflings or gnomes, small creatures. Um, then Travis does a great big full page of the frog witch in her little home in the swamp. That, that to me, is like the iconic page for the book. Yeah, I, I love it, yeah. And then the very last two pages, one gives you all the monsters by challenge rating, in the newer books, we also do a page that gives you the monsters by monster type, I think, which helps as well. And then the very last one there is just an encounter table for this book. And um, yeah, that's that's Monsters of Feyland. 100, 100 creatures that you could use lots of ways, not just in Feyland, not just in the woods, but, you know, like a hater, you could throw them into a city campaign. Right. Yeah. Well, it's definitely going to be some of these that, you know, logically you can encounter wherever. And, and yeah. one of the things that actually struck me at one point was, uh, I think it actually when we were talking the last episode was about how some of these creatures could actually be used as story features where you could have, you know, like the, uh, one of the, one of the courts being like, we have to go, we have, we need to find help or we need to do this or we need to do that. And you could be like walking down, you know, the city of, of Knox, the main street. And you're like, just going to the market. Got to get some milk and butter. It's going to be great. I'm going to go home and I'm going to watch, uh, you know, uh, the boats come in on the on the lake there. And yeah. then, you know, suddenly, like, you run into this whole campaign of, of fey creatures. That are like, yeah, we're here. Uh, you look like somebody we need help from. So that'd, that'd be You're cool. coming with us. <laughs> and suddenly you're like, where am I? You're now in Feyland. Why? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's very easy to bring um, adventurers into Feyland. You know, you could just say there's a tornado and take well, it in exactly. all, Wizard of Oz style, right? Actually, that would be cool. That right? would actually that would be, be very fun. interesting. Um, I think what I did with one adventure is I had you, you guys went through a painting. Yes. It was a full painting on a wall. And then uh, one of you went up to it and you just brushed against the wall and your hand went right through. And then you it was a painting of a forest. And then you realized it actually is a forest. 
<laughs> and you could just this well, and painting so you, feels real. Like why, yeah. why? It feels like why? And you hey, could, wait a minute. So you could just went. walk. You could just walk right into Feyland. So yeah, Feyland is such a great place. I gotta say, dangerous but great. It has all kinds of story possibilities that can push campaigns along, and and yeah, it's it's highly underused. Highly underused, I think, at least for my. Yeah experience probably. yeah although i know in the community it's getting more it has been more popular recently uh, there are a lot of people who enjoy like you say fake creatures and those sort of stories yeah to try and you know have unique things coming in or out of or you visiting in and out of a dimension that completely is just and the dms can do almost anything and it doesn't really matter. Oh, yeah it's like Yes, yeah. so cool. Mainland, there's no rules for sure. So exactly. yeah, and that's yeah. the best part. Yeah. But uh, well, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for watching, and don't forget uh, all of the stuff we've talked about. Uh, artists, there are the artists that can that has drawn all of these great uh, images and all that kind of stuff are all down below, and you of course uh, can listen to this as well on the uh, audio version of the podcast, and. Uh, it's been over an hour, so we should just stop because it's been so long. But thank you again, Andrew, and I will see you next week. And uh, everyone else, bye. Later. Later.